So what kind of people are we seeking to become? That's a sincere question. It's surely a per- pervasive question for people of faith. What kind of people are we seeking to become? I hope all of us are striving to be more and more people who trust God and serve God with our daily lives. I hope all of us are seeking always to be more Christian, to be more loving, to be more forgiving, to be more holy as we live our lives. The kind of people we become has a lot to do with what's going on in the world around us. Do we see the world more as a place where God is at work and love can prosper? Or do we see the world as a place of fear such that we have to protect ourselves and protect our interests? Do we see our surroundings, both people and circumstances, as opportunities for compassion and kindness and peace, or as a threat, or as a challenge to our existence? Which is it? Or how much in between? It matters how we see the world around us. It matters a great deal. The renowned ethicist H. Richard Niebuhr went so far as to say that the first question of ethics is not what is right. It's not even what is good, but rather what's going on. What is going on around us? And how do we see God acting in the world? And what kind of people are we seeking to become? Niebuhr recognized that it is increasingly hard to see God and God's love and God's purposes present and active in the world. And if you can't see God at work in the world, it's easy to get discouraged. And if you can't see God present and active in life, anxiety grows and fears grow. And in a culture of fear... The short answer to the question, what's going on, is we're at risk, or we're in danger. And when we accept that answer as our dominant description of the world, then our lives will be shaped mostly by self-preservation. And our vision will become tunnel vision, and fear becomes the ambient background to our lives rather than a life of striving to trust God and serve God and anxiety and caution assume prominence in our hearts and exude out from us. And before we know it, we've wandered a long way from the kind of life and trusting and serving that God intends for all of us. We, before we know it, wandered a long way from following Jesus and living as disciples. Whenever we gather in this place, whenever we open our hearts to that kind of music, whenever we seek to come before God here, we're wanting to become the loving, serving people of God. That's our goal. For generations, people have come into this very sacred space, and they've come in here to sing and pray and 
worship and serve, seeking to be molded into God's people so that we can go from this place trusting God and serving God, bearing God's light in this city and as far as we can go. And we can only be effective as God's people from this place as we deal with what's going on around us in our place, in our time. Today our word of the week is other. Other. And here's what seems to be going on around us, a growing fear of the other. We can even use the familiar word from the Greek, xenophobia. Fear of the other, fear of the stranger, fear of the foreigner. Xenophobia, we can confirm, is both historical and it is biological. Human beings have a long history of struggling with the other. We seem to have an innate inclination to recognize differences, even create differences, manufacture distinctions instead of commonalities. It's led to wars. It's led to genocide. It's led to boundaries. It's led to laws. It's led to racist attitudes and mores and more. All because of our inclination to see people as different, as other. So this has been our shameful history. Xenophobia is also biological. Neuroscientists can demonstrate how our brains constantly judge whether the events and people around us encounter us will hurt us or help us appear as a threat or appear as a reward. This is how our brains function. When we encounter a stranger, a central and powerful core of our brains, which has been functioning this way for millions of years, enables us to determine whether a person is a possible reward or a possible threat, which inclines us to move toward the person or away from the person or the event. Scientists know that encounters with strangers demand more brain work than meetings with people who are familiar. In fact, the neurological response to danger comes upon us faster and with more intensity, and it is difficult to displace. Clearly, this response to danger exists in us for self-preservation. Thanks to millions of years of conditioning, we've learned to move cautiously toward others who may potentially reward us, and we've learned to run away from others who appear to harm us or cause us harm. But while xenophobia is historical and while xenophobia is biological, it remains a contemporary issue for us. You know the current themes. Keep the immigrants out. Round up the aliens. Change the rules on transgender people. And more, and more. So what we want to do today is explore what the scriptures say about this and what God is calling us to be about as God's people. Xenophobia, fear of the other, it's historical. It's biological. But God gives us a will and a capacity 
and a constant calling to embrace, to welcome, to love the other, the xenos, as the Greek word is, the stranger, the alien among us. So what kind of people are we seeking to become? And what should guide us in our becoming? Early on, within the first generations of the covenant that God made with God's people, all the way back in the second book, third book of the Bible, God commands the people really clearly, love the alien, love the immigrant as yourself, to love the alien in your midst, not to cheat them, not to abuse them, not to chase them away. You are to treat them as a citizen among you, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt, and I'm the Lord your God. You heard it read a moment ago. God shows us a way, and God keeps calling us to a way that runs counter to a history. God shows us a way, and God keeps calling us to a way that runs counter to our biology. God calls us. God expects us to live a certain way. Don't oppress them. Don't abuse them. Don't fear them. Love them. For you were aliens in the land. And you know what? Jesus echoes this same message. I was a stranger. Xenos. That's the word. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. When did we do that? When you welcomed me, said Jesus. In welcoming strangers, in welcoming the other, we welcome Jesus. God is always calling us to something more and something better, something beyond our biology and something beyond our genetic heritage. God is always trying to get us to be better, better people, more wholesome, more hopeful. God is always trying to move us from fear to faith, from alienating to loving, from displacing to life together. It's not about fear. It's about faith. It's not about walls. It's about welcome. It's not about uh, oppressing others or minimizing others or squashing the rights of others, but it's about love and justice and kindness and welcome and hospitality. So listen to these words from 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he abides in us. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God 
whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we hear these words, when we hear these words and when we think about whether we live by faith or whether we live by fear, when we hear these words and we think about whether we live in love or in suspicion of love, suspicion of others, we forget how very much is at stake. We tend to fear the other more than we fear God who commands us to love each other. Love has been perfected in us that we may have boldness on the day of judgment because as God is in us, so are we in this world. We love because God loves us. This is our calling. What kind of people are we seeking to become? This is God's calling. God's expectation for our lives. God's hope for every one of us. God's intention for the world. What kind of people are we seeking to become? Ginger and I have both been reading a very good book. It's called Waking Up White. This is a personal memoir by a woman named Debbie Irving. And Waking Up White has also been highly recommended reading for these days in these times by the current co-moderators of the Presbyterian Church USA. They're saying every Presbyterian should be reading this book. The book is confessional. It's a jolting and continuing journey from white oblivion to white awareness. Our 20s and 30s young adult group is reading this book this spring. We're talking about working out a Sunday school class in the fall on this thoughtful book. Debbie Irving grew up with st distinctive but familiar white privilege in Connecticut. She saw herself as a good person, a really good person. She was progressive, she was engaged in her community life, and she would have been insulted if anyone had ever called her a racist. And then she had a number of experiences that put her on another journey to be more honest, to get out of her comfort zone, to confront her deep-seated prejudices that were part of her life and journey, and she didn't even realize it, to realize how racism holds all of us captive. And we, in ways that we can't even imagine. Waking up white is one person's attempt to find healing and wholeness and liberation and one person's attempt to help all of us with that journey. Irving shares lots of very personal stories. One of the stories that she shares includes some of the final moments that she had with her father, who was in a nursing home. His final years of life were full of increasing depression and regret, which was so difficult for Debbie to watch. She writes that his blue eyes became dull and his once animated brows were sagging. She would ask her dad, are you okay? Seeing this depression and this regret sort of taking over his life, are you okay? He would always say, I'm fine because 
depression wasn't a part of the family lexicon. I'm fine. And he would want to talk about something else. But then this mood kind of persisted and she leaned in and she prodded him. What's bothering you, Dad? What's really bothering you? And after a long pause, he confessed, I didn't do enough. I didn't do enough. And like most of us would do in that situation, Debbie shot back right almost immediately. That's ridiculous. You lived your whole life to the fullest every minute. You're the most hardworking person I know. But after a long pause and silence, he responded, I don't mean that. What I mean is I could have helped people who really needed the help. And he turned away. Debbie writes that she cannot know for sure what he was thinking about, what he was referencing, but it, it could well have been involving an episode in the 1970s that gave her a glimpse of the conflict in her father's heart. One evening, she walked into the room to get help on her math assignment. She said she was about 10 years old. Her parents were kind of close together, her father's face was in his hands as her mother was consoling him and encouraging him, and they were deeply fretting, and the parents didn't notice that she was standing in the doorway, so they kept talking, and she heard something about um, a good family and an impossible situation, and, and this makes me sick because this is not right. And Debbie asked what they were talking about, and her mother said, nothing, your father's had a hard day at work. She didn't buy it, and she pushed and pestered them, and then she learned that it was about a Jewish family that had applied to the country club, and the board was divided about whether to let them in. Do I know them, she asked? And what does being Jewish have to do with anything? It's complicated, Debbie. Debbie. Her father said, and he walked away in silence. Choosing to take a stand or acquiescing to the group, that breeds conflict. And it generates regret and heartache. Was this just one incident? Was this a pattern? And at the end of his life, he looked back with depression and regret and a sense of failure. Reach out in faith. Love the other. Welcome the other. Or be led by fear. Fear of what your friends will say. Fear of what culture says. Fear of taking a stand. Which is it? I didn't do enough, he said to Debbie. And you know what? That was the final conversation that she had with her father. He died the next day from a pulmonary embolism that seized his broken heart. See, it's so easy to get caught up in historical or biological or cultural living 
It's so easy to justify the things that become part of our life and part of our world. Yet the scriptures keep saying it over and over. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. And the scriptures keep saying it. Perfect love casts out fear. And those who say, I love God and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. What kind of people are we becoming? We're always seeking to learn and grow in loveliness. Beloved, let us love one another, grow in loveliness, and welcome the other. When we're growing in loveliness, we begin to foster tenderness. Tenderness about our own situations and tenderness about the situations of others. Growing in loveliness and tenderness always finds room for others. The other, xenos. Growing in loveliness and tenderness means to engage in the other. We live by faith, not by fear. We move toward welcome, not walls. We seek bridges, not barriers. This is the heart of the matter, isn't it? It's the heart of the matter. Beloved, let us love one another and so promote the light and the love and the joy and the justice of Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you is to fall. To turn to you is to rise. To stand with you, to love and serve you. That is to abide forever. We seek that way, following Christ our Lord. Amen.